helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 Weekdays on Vision Christian Radio. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. It's not so much you struggle with God's judgment. You just don't want God to judge you. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear the second part of A Vision of Heaven. Pastor Jeff will bring some insight to the visions John had and what they reveal about how we should live in worship of God as we look forward to our eternal destiny. There is a way to be right with God, but it's a robe that He gives me. I don't earn it. It's not about religion and ritual. It's about what God has given to me. This is Today with Jeff Vines and A Vision of Heaven, Part 2. Let me tell you what you have to keep in mind before I tell you the events that are about to occur. And so John is encouraged by the rainbow, but he's scared of the lightning and thunder. And he learns that his God is not benign. But when he sees the rainbow, here's what he remembers. That yes, justice and judgment are coming one day, but the people of God will be spared. And in the same way that God removed Noah and his family and took them to a new place for a new life, God shall also take his people to a new place with a new life. And judgment and justice will come, but it has already come for the children of God, and they've been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. And so he sees the rainbow, and he knows it's okay. Whatever I see from this day forward, it's okay. Now let me pause again just for a moment. Can I ask you, if you're skeptical, why do you struggle so much with the justice and judgment of God? Why? Why do you want to create God in your own image where God is only a God of love? Why do you struggle with a God of judgment and justice? And you can't have it both ways because you will say this. You will say, you know what? I can't believe in your Christian God because any God that would punish anybody for anything is not my God. And the reason you say that is because you've created God in your own image. You're telling God what he should be like because that makes you more comfortable. You only want a God of love who let everybody do what they want to do and hold nobody accountable. But then two weeks later, when you're talking to another friend, you say this, I can't believe in the Christian God because he allows so much evil in the world. Well, which do you want? You can't have it both ways. You put God in a lose-lose situation. The Christian God, and another reason I believe it's so coherent is that God says, no, justice one day will roll like a river, but I'm going to allow the wheat and the tares to grow together. And then one day, judgment will come. And when judgment comes, justice will be served. And the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Lenins and the orchestrators of the genocides and Tiananmen Squares will be held accountable for the way they've lived and what they've done. You struggle with that because ultimately, it's not so much you struggle with God's judgment, you just don't want God to judge you. Right? Donald Trump was once asked, what will you say when you meet God and find him on his throne? Donald Trump said, I'll say, God, move over. You're in my seat. Can you at least be honest that that's your real problem? You want to be on God's seat. You want to determine 
what's right and what's wrong. You want to control how things should go. You want to say what's allowed and what is offensive. And the one thing you definitely don't want is for your life to come under scrutiny. Can you just be honest and admit that? There are two Greek words in the Bible translated wrath, and you're going to see it all through Revelation, orge and thumos. One Greek word means that God holds his wrath until the day, and then like a volcano, it explodes. The other means that God explodes immediately in the given situation. And we're going to see when God does what and why. But for now, you need to know that for this world to make any sense at all, there has to be some sense of justice attached to it. And down deep in your heart, you know there will be. Now, notice what God does with John. First, he takes them through, I exude with the people, my people. They emanate from the throne. I love them. They're close to my heart. But they're a rainbow, a covenant of promise to remember the promise I've made to you. And even though you hear thunder and lightning and justice and judgment, keep going, John. I think you're going to be encouraged. And then what does he see? The Bible says that he sees 24 elders. Now remember what we said about the numbers in the Bible. The number 12 represents the people of God. 12 disciples, 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel. The number two now is the work of the church in, the new, in God's world. That represents God's witnesses, God's work going out into the world. So now you have the multiple of two and 12, 24. So basically these 24 elders represent the people of God in heaven. And he says, this is beautiful now, he says that they're wearing white robes. That's right out of the Old Testament in Isaiah 64. But we are like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. No matter how good you are on your very best day, Think about what he's saying. On your very best day, still your righteousness compared to God's is like a filthy rag. You think, well, I'm not a bad person. That's only because you're comparing yourself with everybody else, not with God. If you compare your holiness with the holiness of God, you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. You're not a good person. So when you think that only good people go to heaven, that means nobody does. And that's why Isaiah 61 says in verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he's clothed me with a robe of righteousness. But there is a way to be right with God, but it's a robe that he gives me. I don't earn it. It's not about religion and ritual. It's not about how many times I go to church. It's not about how much money I give. It's not about any of those things. It's about what God has given to me. And that's why Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of who? God. So my salvation is not under my power. It's under the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who works really, really hard. No, everyone who believes for in the gospel, the righteousness of who? Whose righteousness is it? God's. That's what's revealed. What does he mean? There are two ways to be righteous. Keep the law perfectly or pay the penalty for breaking it. You and I can't keep the law perfectly because we're in the flesh. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Admit it. Come clean. Use your intellectual honesty and admit you're a sinner. God knows that. God knows you cannot be saved by the law. And so what does he do? He saves you by paying the penalty that you owe. He sends his son to die on the cross and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's the one that gives you righteousness. It's not your own righteousness. It comes as a gift by faith and the people who are in heaven the difference between those in heaven and those not in heaven are those on earth try to work in their own goodness and righteousness they take trips to the east they keep the five pillars they do things in their mind if I can just earn favor with God I can be good enough for God to accept me but Jesus comes along and says you're kidding yourself you can never be good enough but don't worry my son paid your penalty I will gift you a robe of righteousness and you will be with me in heaven and I will be your God and you will be my people. 
That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why on earth would you not enjoy that? And then he says in verse five, the second part, seven lamps of fire were burning from the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I don't have time to go into it, folks, but this is a direct uh, indication of Zechariah four, where he has a vision of lampstands and the olive trees and olive branches. These represent the power of God going into the work of God's people as represented by the seven candlelights. And there is an endless supply of liquid and power and energy flowing into the work that God's people will do. And so you say, I thought the Holy Spirit was a, was a trinity. I thought it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there was perfect unity and diversity within the trinity. What's this? Seven spirits. Well, remember the number seven. You're not looking for seven exact. The number seven represents perfection and the Holy Spirit of God is perfect. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that energizes his people to do his work in the world. And that's why the main point of Zechariah 4 is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that God will energize his people to endure, to overcome, and he will have his way on planet earth. Now, I want to go through something very quickly. Let's take another pause. We know... I know that you hear things in the media all the time. And it is true that Christians are being persecuted on planet earth, right? You know that. They are dying. Again, the time it takes me to preach this sermon, hundreds of your brothers and sisters around the world would have been slaughtered only because they are Christ followers. You got that, right? So it's easy to say, what's going on? I mean, are we winning? Uh, look at Hollywood's attack on the Christian. Now, don't put me in the fuddy-duddy category where we say, oh, we got a pastor here who's going to tell us to get rid of our TVs. No, listen, I'm simply saying that the more you watch what Hollywood produces, the more they try to make Christians look like fundamental idiots. And so this is how they're portraying us to the world because Hollywood's not only in America, these movies and films go all across the world. So I feel, and many like me feel, there's a concerted effort. But it's not working. It's just not working. The largest religion in the world is what? Christianity. Christianity is 68% larger than Islam. Did you know that? that? There are more Christians in the world. There are 25 million in the world. And you say, well, how are you defining Christian? Look, no matter how you define it, the percentages don't change. The fastest growing religion in the world today is what? Christianity, 2.5 million per year, 10%. It's growing by every year because of the work and ministry and what the spirit of God's doing in the world through the power and the energy of his spirit into the lives of people who are his ministering servants. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now notice something. I've noticed there's a little bit misunderstanding here. He doesn't say the gates of hell. I'm not saying the gates of hell will prevail. I'm simply saying that's not Jesus' point in the passage. Hell is the Greek word Gehenna. It stands for the place outside the city of Jerusalem where they would burn the bodies of criminals whose, were, whose bodies were unclaimed by family members and they would say the smoke would rise forever and ever. That's a term that God uses, Jesus uses to describe what eternity is like without God. When you're separated from God, there's a separation from everything that is good. But that's not the word he uses. He uses Hades. Hades is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Sheol. The word Sheol simply means death. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He's saying this, even Satan's number one tool of persecution and death will not stop the growth of my church. In fact, we know in human history, when Christians die, the church explodes with growth. Do you understand that no matter what happens on planet earth, the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. 
You have to ask yourself why it continues to prevail against such odds. You say, wait a minute, you can't tell me the church is growing in America. That's not what I said. I said the church is flourishing in the world. Right now, it's primarily flourishing in South, uh, South America, in Asia, in Africa. But Christianity is rising to the top. And it's rising to the top where it's persecuted. We're not persecuted here. Which means we're getting spiritually fat and lazy, if I can just be straight with you. And because of that, many people think that the first century Christianity is leaving the affluent West and its central headquarters is moving to places where people suffer for their faith, where it means so much to them that they're willing to die for it. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. You're listening to the second half of A Vision of Heaven. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. Now stay with me. We get to this vision and it's like suddenly... God wants to remove John away uh, from the uh, forest or away from the trees that he can see the 40,000 foot view that he can see the overarching idea. And so something special happens. John, as he moves back, sees four living creatures. I got to move fast. Four living creatures. These four living creatures are the cherubim. These are the creatures that oversee all of humanity. Are they literal creatures? I don't know. I'm just not that smart. I just know this is a metaphor to show us that God has seniority, that he's overpowering, that he has an overarching authority over north, east, south, and west. He has the globe covered. He is not surprised. So these creatures that surround the throat have eyes all over their body. Why would they have that? To show you that God has an eye on every aspect and every corner of the planet. And they each have a different face. One has the face of a lion. One has the face of a calf. One has the face uh, of a uh, eagle. And one has the face of a man. You say, what does that mean? That's right out of the Old Testament. The lion represents authority and power that God has. The calf represents a humility of service to God for the purposes of God. Man represents rational beings, beings who have logic and think things through. An eagle represents God's ability to work in the swiftness and a flight. So what's the message as John sees as he moves back? He says, oh, I got it. Sometimes I think that God is not very rational in what he allows or doesn't allow. Sometimes I think God is powerless. Sometimes I think God is always late. And he sees these creatures and it reminds him God is all powerful like a lion. He is as swift as the eagle. He is rational, although I might not understand what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And more importantly, God is never, ever late. He's always on time. He's large and in charge, and his work will be done. All I'm asking is that can you and I admit our limitations? Dostoevsky wrote that he believes one day that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, Something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. You hear what he's saying? The day will come when finally you will say, so that's why God caused me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is why God allowed this to happen in my life, this fractured relationship. That is why God didn't hear my prayer or he heard it and he didn't answer my call or that he didn't do what I thought he should have done. Now, suddenly, all this injustice that you experience in this life, one day, one day, you'll say, oh, I got it. And you will praise God, even in the midst of great difficulty. Do you know what the overarching message is? This is the end now. Please give me your attention, please. Do you know what the overarching message of this is? Everybody is going to worship something. Everybody. 
Because there's a call. There's a distant dream in you, a memory of of something gone by in eternity, of something outside yourself that has wisdom, power, and strength. And you know that it's true because there's a sense of dissatisfaction in you that there's got to be something more, something beyond. Everyone is going to worship something in an attempt to fill the hole that's in your life. Everybody. The difference between those in heaven and those on earth is that those in heaven are those who overcame. Overcame what? See, your mind immediately goes, well, they overcame the great tribulation. They overcame temptation. Well, yes, to a degree. But this vision is about people who understand there is a real battle every day in your life. And the battle is for preeminence. What will you make most important in your life? And the people get here, they have made Christ and his kingdom preeminent. It's not that they didn't love other things like a husband or a wife or a child or a golf or something else. Christians are not people who separate themselves from the world and don't do only one thing. No, no. They are people who go into the world and they impact the world by the fact that they have at the top of their reordered loves the purposes of God, and that's why these kings and these guys on the throne, they do something that means very little to you and me, but it would have meant everything to John. It says in the latter part of chapter four that they take their crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus. What does that mean? It means they said, here is my crown of life. I give it to you. You can't dabble in this. There's no halfway in, halfway out. That's why Jesus said the road was narrow and few would find it. There are those who will talk a really good game, but God is not preeminent in their life. His kingdom is not the most important thing in their lives. They're still trying to use God for their purposes rather than God using them for his. Where are you? This is, this is a matter of eternity. This is not a fun and game. You don't dabble in church and dabble in worship and dabble. Those who are here said to God at some point in their life, here I am, God, I belong to you. Full stop. Where are you? Worship is logic on fire, says Tim Keller. Worship is logic on fire. God created, God sustains. This world is temporary, but eternity lasts forever. And that's a long time. I will live my life not for the moment. I will live my life for what is to come. I will still be faithful. I will be a good steward of my resources. I will live my life on planet earth. I will be a good father. I will be a good leader. I will do those things. But ultimately my life is about what is to come. And they cast their crowns and they say, here I am. Here's how you know that you're one of these by the way you handle your money, by the way you handle your career, by the way you carry out your relationships, by the way you hash out morality, by the way you treat other people. If God is preeminent, truly, then the first fruits of all your life go to him. You live ultimately for his kingdom and you can't just dabble in that and fake God out. He knows your heart. And if you truly worship, in Revelation 5.10, it says, you have made them a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. 
Here's how you know you're worshiping the real God. This is the end of the end. If, here's how you know. You feel as pure as a priest and as valuable as a king. You feel as pure as a priest because you know God accepts you not on the basis of your goodness, but on the basis of the grace of God. So that when God sees you, you feel pure. Not because you are, but because he's made you to be. But you're also a priest in the sense that what do priests do? They help people who are far from God come near to God. Your life is about helping people far from God come near to God. Do you have your one life yet? Somebody that you're investing to bring far from God near to God? For those who truly worship, you're always helping people come far to near. And you feel like a king. Why? (laughs) the reason you're able to cast your crown down is because you know that everything here is going to pass away. (laughs) You're a prince of the king, man. Therefore, all the rights and privileges thereof are associated. The inheritance that you're going to be given far outweighs. What does Paul say in Romans 8? What does he say about the weight of glory? That our temporary sufferings are nowhere near comparing with the glory. Glory is the idea of weight with the measure of things that will be revealed to us and in us in the world it is to come. You know in your heart whether you're in or not. You do. And the Holy Spirit of God convicts you in areas of your life that you're not. Jim Elliott said he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And my concern for all of us is that it's very difficult to live for Christ in America because we have so much. I believe it is far more difficult to live a life for Christ in places of pleasure than it is in places of pain. And that's why the gospel is multiplying insurmountably in Africa, parts of Asia, places like Russia, South America. We in America have to ask what is really the most important thing in our lives because it's a matter of eternity. (coughs) Father, I want to ask you in Jesus' name to open our eyes, to help us see what it is that you want us to see. I pray for every person here right now that there would be some honest evaluation. I pray for those who are here as seekers who don't really believe this stuff or they're just not that far on their journey yet, but I pray for them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a special way. Your spirit would fall on each life. I pray for every individual in this room right here that you would show them where they truly are. Are they holding on to their crowns or are they casting them at the feet of the throne? And saying, God, I live for things, but I live primarily for you. You have preeminence. I may have a job and I may have to work and I may have to supply food and shelter. But ultimately, my life is not about this home and this community and this land. It's about the one that is to come. So I will make this place a better place for the sake of Christ. That my life may point others to the world that is to come.
This is Today with Jeff Bynes, and that's the end of A Vision of Heaven. You can hear the full message again now online. Just head to the Vision website, that's vision.org.au, and search for Jeff Bynes. Today with Jeff Bynes, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.